I'm, I'm in the process of pressing a thousand buttons all at the same time. <laughs> Stories Podcast, your number one show for everything guitar. Hello, welcome to the Guitar Stories Podcast. Yes, <laughs> um, welcome me, Andy Ferris. Thank you very much, Andy, and of course, Doctor Dan. And with us already is John Brown. Hey, everybody! <laughs> second time <laughs> charm. <laughs> so I'm still going to be pressing buttons for a second whilst um, you know whilst I fix this. But uh, Brown, how are you, my friend? I'm I'm actually doing pretty well, you know. It was um, I want to say it was a good start to 2021, but it was a good start to 2021. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm fantastic, thanks, mate. It's funny. This is actually the first time that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you were saying you fixed it. Success. You were saying. <laughs> this is the first time that me and Dan have actually spoken face to face. We uh, oh then um. Then I'll leave you alone. Hang on. <laughs> hey, that's a nice strat you got on the wall over there, mate. What you got over there? Which one? Oh, that one? Yeah. That's a Jet Guitars uh, JT450. Oh, yeah. That's quite nice, isn't it? How much do you reckon that is? Um, 200 quid. 300 quid. Pretty close, yeah. Think about <laughs> 340, 350. I knew the only reason that I guessed that amount is because you said guess how much that is. <laughs> yeah, but roasted neck, roasted. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. Pickups aren't that great, but you know, great guitars. All you need to do is pick harder, mate. You'll be good. Yeah, I, I learned. You gave me a lesson once, and that's that's what I mainly took away from it. Yes. Just play as hard as you can. <laughs> Actually, what well, what kind of pick do you use? Because I was I was trying to learn some metal and failing with the tone, but getting my right hand going. And um, what what pick do you use? I tend to just use a one millimeter Jim Dunlop nylon Max grip. That was quite a lot of words, wasn't it? <laughs> this one. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So um, then I nailed the it. <laughs> exactly. The main reason I use that is because it doesn't slip. So yeah. it's one material that actually grips to my hand. Um, I can't trust a guitar player that uses Tortex picks because I don't understand how they can keep hold of them. Me neither. <laughs> they just slide out of my sweaty little mitts. Especially on stage, you know, when you've, uh, you know, spilt beer all over your hands or, you know, wiped your forehead for, you know, one little bit because you've got sweat dripping into your eyes. And then I have no idea how anyone can hold on to that pick. <laughs> I can't. You know? I can't. It's... It's not possible. It's definitely not possible, but it's good that you're using the same picks. That means you're on the long, the right lines, or you saw what I was using at 42 Gear Street. No, that, I genuinely asked. I wasn't trying to... I also use this one, the the Flow. Oh, yeah, they're good. Yeah. Um, there's quite a bit of a grip on that one, so I, I use that one, or or the, the one you're using, Max Grips. But when I discovered Max Grips, my life absolutely changed. It was like a revelation happened, wasn't it? It's like, oh... oh this is like having an extra bit of fingernail. It's not moving. I, I, I remember going around and people were like, look at this, hold that. Try and drop it. Go on, try and drop it. You can't drop it. 
<laughs> I the big missionary still, man nice <laughs> definitely still spins around in my fingers but just not as much depends how uh you know uh, how hard i'm hitting that day generally yeah, yeah. have you tried mm. stuff like gorilla snot like that you know that sticky gooey stuff that can stick it to you <laughs> is it called gorilla snot <laughs> yeah it's called gor- I'm, I'm pretty sure it's called gorilla snot even that or, or i dreamed it up and i'm about to release a new product that sounds like the perfect business idea, mate. Thanks. <laughs> Just need to tame some gorillas. <laughs> no, I've never tried that stuff, actually. I've never really experimented with with stuff like that, you know, like, you know, fast fret um, and stuff like that. I've never really tried it. That makes sense. I don't know right. why. Yeah, I should. Gorilla snot. Okay, I'll try it. Yeah, try it. Try it. It's Or not, you know, up to you. <laughs> So I feel back on track. I've I've made a, a sort of zen for myself now that I, I've stopped seeing complaints rolling up the chat. I can't hear you. <laughs> and I, I know I I really appreciate you guys watching. Um, you know, just give a guy a break. <laughs> <laughs> we know what the problem was. The problem was Brexit. That's the problem. <laughs> it's been the it's been the problem of everything for the past couple of years. But. Just blame it. <laughs> We'll just blame it on Brexit because it's the easiest option at this point, isn't it? Yeah. I um, what I could do, we've got some some kind of news because there is so much uh, new, or well, not news, but new products this week. Um, I, I genuinely can't keep up with how much has gone on in the guitar release because of NAM, I guess, Dan. What's what's your take on that? Uh, it was a crazy week, basically. Like, and I might disagree a little bit because we had some big news regarding Gibson and Mesa Boogie. Oh yeah, that was quite that was quite a big topic, but also a lot of news, a lot of news. And and given that Nam is not happening at the moment, all the companies they go like online, they have social media events, live streams, and whatsoever. So that was pretty amazing to see what what what's their plan B for a like kind of virtual Nam or kind of to release that that happening basically. So yeah. I'm super curious to hear what what you picked. So we decided to kind of narrow it down to only a handful of picks. So that'll be interesting to see what you thought was was the most interesting gear being released. When when Dan said pick, then we picked some favorite gear of releases, but it's also a play on the word the fact that guitar picks. You know, yeah. So that might be confusing for some of us, including me right now. What I'm going to try? No, I was trying to be clever, and I just realised I've screwed myself. Um, No, that's good. I'm going to try and put John into the news of OBS like this, and I'm going to stop calling Brown John as well before he punches me through the screen. (laughs) (laughs) Got it written here. Don't call John John. Call him Brown. Okay. Too many. Um, Too many Johns on Earth. That's all it is. Yeah, there's, only, there's only one brown with an E. So, what am I doing? Right. Um, we've got a little video. Right, this is the news. Forgive me while I add John. I mean brown. I, I genuinely got it wrong then. <laughs> right, I'm going to stick you, if you don't mind, right up there on top of that amp. How's that? There he is. Look at him up there. <laughs> so, um, what we have is some picks of the week. 
Um, I've got three picks, and I think Dan's got a one or one or two, one big one. So um, for gear this week, here's my pick of the week. So, my first pick of the week is oh John's got John Brand has vanished again. Is uh, is Fender because Fender have absolutely released loads of products. Fender, Squire, everything. Look at all these wonderful guitars. A lot of P90 action. Yeah, so that's the um I can't even remember what they've called it because this podcast has thrown me right off. The Noventa series, Noventa Strat, Noventa Tele, and Noventa Jazzmaster. Um, but that's going right. to scroll around and around and around. That is the new Squire Contemporary series. That's a whole bunch of Fendery kind of things at the same time. Um, I am not going to shy away from the fact that I'm a huge fan of what Fender do, especially when they do kind of weird stuff. Um, mm -hmm. I've got a Fender 66. I've got the, the Squire Paranormal series. Um, I love it. Dan, what's your take on these? They're pretty interesting, actually. I, I was I was uh, excited to see the P90 offerings because you don't you don't get a lot of uh, P9. Yeah, <laughs> you don't get a lot of P90s usually. So those kind of I think they, they started with the Parallel Universe series and now the Noventa. I hope it's it's pretty good. And actually, it's it's a funny kind of creation of the name of the series because if you spell it with a D instead of a T, like Noventa, it's like they don't sell Noventa. <laughs> I hope they sell because it's a pretty cool series. And I like the colors too. I like that kind of what's it, what's it called like burst finishes, like white to blue burst and, and stuff like that. That's that's pretty red. I like pastely. I like how pastely the colors are. Yeah, it's yeah. me of fifties and sixties kind of American cars. Yeah, uh, I'm digging you, that yeah. that telly with the with the single P90. I think that is absolutely phenomenal. I'd love to see that in the flesh. I'm not yeah. sure if it's red or orange though. I. I keep thinking orange, yeah. and then I see it again next to something else. It looks red, but um, there's but a honest, nice sparkle honest, finish there. Absolutely, and, and I'm extremely excited. It's like a renaissance of the, of the Telecaster at the moment. All the companies they're kind of reviving the Tele's with with different options and very modern specs or super retro specs, being P90s and, and surf colors. It's like you get Tele's everywhere. It's quite well, interesting. That more guitar companies don't use the P90 and actually I want to expand on that and say that guitar players also don't really respect the P90 and definitely the more modern styles to me it's mm -hmm. the most aggressive sounding pickup it's like the best part of a humbucker and a, and a single call together it's Absolutely. got that openness and, um, but still the aggression I find them way more aggressive than humbuckers personally um, mm -hmm. the only issue is is that when you play in a loud metal band you get a lot of noise which isn't nice <laughs> mm -hmm. what about a, like a P100 like a stacked P90 have you, have you tried those I play 7 and 8 string guitars so the <laughs> or a, a 7 string P90 is kind of minimal I know you know bare knuckle do them um, a couple of other companies do them, but I haven't really experimented with seven string versions of them, but I do have two guitars with P90s in here, six strings, actually. I reckon I could sort you out with a seven string stack P90. Oh yeah, please. I have a friend I who makes awesome pickups in Germany and he's into really making like slightly off the wall stuff. Okay. 
I will. I will. Maybe he's watching. Actually, uh, if not, I'll try and remember. Remind me later on, and I'll um, I'll send him a message. But that sounds like the sort of thing that I want to see you do. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I love P nineties. As um, I find them amazing. It's just instantly aggressive the moment that yeah. you turn it on. And it's that, um, that bite, yeah, isn't it? It's got such a, a rock and roll bite. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm with you. P nineties are where it's at. Absolutely. 100%. And I want to say that these Fender guitars do look pretty sick. Yeah. As well. Like uh, that Jazz Master with the trem on it looks yeah. as good. <laughs> yeah. Triple P90. That telly is calling me, but um, not every company is doing <laughs> Telecasters, Dan. Uh, some, some have not yet. Some, some have left that out, but you never know what we might see in the future. So, you know, NAM, NAM is not happening, but... Uh, Everything else is so. My next pick of the week, if I may, if I get rid of that Fender one, is this from Reverend. Wow, uh, nice. And naturally, you know, uh, it's the Six Gun HPP. So it's the more P90 action. Mm. <laughs> like the Wilkinson Trem. Yeah, got a lot of time from Wilkinson gear. Yeah, that's a very cool guitar. It's um. Kind of might reminds me, kind of a little bit. I know it's the wrong way round, but a Mosrite, a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like in its styling, maybe it's just the P90s. I don't know, but it's a very cool. It's a very cool shape, very retro, very you, Andy. Thanks. <laughs> well, I I may have sent an email to Reverend today, and they may have said we'll try and get you one. You never know. Oh, wow. <laughs> but in case, in case you're wondering, that's not one guitar that changes colour. That's four guitars that are, that are scrolling around on a really fast media source. Um, Dan, which one is your, if you had to choose, which one is your favourite colour of that? <sighs> it's difficult. I, I really like the baby blue because I'm such a sucker for those kind of surf colours. Mm-hmm. But the black one is also pretty classy and the green's got something to it too. I'm not just saying, uh, maybe not the sunburst one, but the black one's cool and I like the green one. Brand? But I have to pick one blue. I'd yeah. actually have to go for the black one. Um, I, for some reason, don't like green guitars for the most part, um, unless it's like neon colored. Right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> In like, like, you know, like it's the lost child from the 80s or something. Um, <laughs> but the, the black one's cool. I actually like probably like the Sunburst one more than Dan. Um, then, then the baby blue is cool as well, but um, the color blue, I find that it's just used a little bit too much for the most part. Mm-hmm. It's uh-huh. kind of like a safe color, isn't it? Blue. <laughs> yeah. Even well, Dan's one- wearing a shirt right now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> the one that grabbed my eye, first of all, was the green one um, because it was the first picture I saw. Then everything else, I had to sort of judge against that color. So... Even though I like the black, it wouldn't work in my studio and doesn't really work for me. It doesn't show up, so I have to look at it from that side. So that's one down, but I cannot choose between the other three. But I I think it's green or baby blue. Do you know what would make the green look better, in my opinion? The pick guard being black? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yep. that would be more fitting. Yeah. Agreed. So that black yeah, pickguard Andy's, Andy's got that pickguard kind of thing going on. He's never satisfied with the stock pickguard. Never. <laughs> you know, you know how to get out of that. You just get a guitar that doesn't have one. Oh, there it go. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> that telly with the P90 from Fender, the orange one. 
<laughs> it has a pick guard on it though, doesn't it? It's just a little one. Does it? Hang on, let's find out. Let's find out. Oh, we've got yes. Reverend. Oh, there it you does go. have a black yeah. pick guard. Oh, that, that's fine. That, that that works very well. It's all right, Andy. You can change that to white tortoiseshell. Take it off. <laughs> tortoiseshell. Right. Sorry. Get out. You've accidentally. Right. And I've got one more pick of the week. Um, if I can find the button, because now everything is topsy turvy. Goodbye, Reverend. Thank you, Reverend. It's this from Court. Oh, Court. Interesting. Scale. Um, and I've forgotten what it's called. But uh, it's, called the- <laughs> it's called the what? The Court. <laughs> the Court. Um, if anyone knows what that's called in the chat, let me know because I've absolutely fluffed it. Right, it's called the um, X X seven hundred, right? X seven hundred mutility, mutility. Uh huh. And it was designed designed in conjunction with Prog Prodigy Hedrus. That's hard to say. Ah, oh, Hedrus. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Uh, twenty four point seven five inch to twenty five and a half multi scale roasted maple neck fretboard stainless steel frets, uh, Fisherman nice. Fluence modern humbuckers. Two voices due to a push-pull function on the volume. Split the humbuckers with a push-pull on the tone. Blade control for the pickups. Um, I have a lot of time for it. I think I think it might be affordable as well. Mm. That reminds me a bit of the Axion labels that we did. I think that's like a sandwich body with Ash and Neato or some kind of yeah. mahogany equivalent with. So... Yeah. It, it's it kind of it's it's something we discussed earlier this week. Like I was I was talking with Andy, and we were discussing that the lines between the brands are blurring a little bit more. Yeah, and you know everyone is kind of borrowing ideas from this brand and this brand, and they you know mix it all together, and then you have a nice blend and a new kind of flavor that's inspired by this and inspired by that, and it's I think that's totally fine. I think so too. Like the the one my one gripe actually about this guitar is I'm not actually the biggest fan of the bevel being where you see the bottom of the body and then the top is, a li- you know, just part of mm-hmm. the top. Uh-huh. I don't know why, I'm just, I'm really not into it. <laughs> 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 I prefer almost to a degree the flat tops. I don't I uh-huh. think it's just because I grew up with strats. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the, yeah. the flat top strat has to look, but I mean, I think that guitar looks great. Um, the fluences look massive in it. They <laughs> do, don't they? <laughs> and I'm well, guessing interesting. it's a six-string guitar, but with seven-string pickups, right? I don't know, but I would it looks like, like it, yeah, because yeah, that's how they've yeah. they've angled them. Yeah. yeah. What well, I find can... interesting is that it's not multi-scale; like it's more like a slanted thread because, like, the first threads they're not going in both no. directions. Like the first couple threads, they are pretty much straight, and then it angles a little bit. Uh, towards the neck humbucker. That's totally dependent on the the size of the fan. Do you know what the scale length is, Andy? Um, yeah, I, I, uh, just where is it there? We've got twenty four and three quarters to twenty five and a half multi scale roasted maple neck. That is really interesting because that is. I understand why they've done it. They want the Gibson scale on the higher strings because it's slightly yeah. sweeter. Mm-hmm. But that's probably why the first fret is so, you know, just vertical. When mm-hmm. you're you're seeing the the Novak system or the fan fret system, we're normally seeing it on like Dingwall, which is like yeah, thirty seven to thirty four. 
Yeah, which is a really big fan, especially when it comes to bass. But um, that is literally three quarters of an inch. That's what she said. (laughs) 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 All right, it's that time already. (laughs) Basically, what I'm saying is it's not the biggest of fans to... So, yeah, I can understand why it would only do it towards the higher end of the Mm. guitar. Yeah. It almost seems almost slightly pointless. What do you mean? The fact that it's fanned? Yeah. The three quarters of an inch. I mean, yeah, I guess the high frets would sound a little bit sweeter for solos. But... For me, I don't, I don't own a multi-scale guitar, but I love the way they feel. On you know, to, to hold and to bar chords, I just I, I love the feel. I think it's an evolution for me of of the guitar. I've never really looked into the to the tone of it. I haven't got that far on that journey with that kind of instrument. But the reason I picked this guitar is because, like you, Brian, I much prefer flat colors and flat tops. And when I see like a um, a fancy burl or something, it just doesn't quite. I don't quite dig it very much. I'm more into my flat tops. However, looking at this guitar, the guitar genuinely appeals to me. The look, maybe it's gradually creeping in, you know? So there's that there's that <laughs> fancy top. It's creeping in at the top, and then next year someone will release from some at the bottom, and suddenly I won't be ever able to play a flat top guitar again, and I'll be into these fabulously ornate tops. <laughs> I do I do understand why you like the look of it. I really like the the shape of the horns on it actually. I think it's it's pretty cool. It it it's obviously inspired by the strap but it looks a little bit different but maybe that's just because it's against the white background it might be interfering with my uh my vision a little bit. I'm not I'm not taking the taking the mickey out of you for putting on a white background by the way Andy. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's it's a cool guitar for sure. I mean it'll be worth definitely worth trying for sure. I I can, I can fix that. I can't. I'm not going to press a button that doesn't need to be pressed. Um, yeah, so that, that's my picks. Um, before we go to Dan's picks, I'd like to just say a little bit about our sponsor. So Brian is going to pop off for a second, and he'll be back in just a moment. This is our sponsor, Dan. It's Amplitude 5 from IK Multimedia. Um, I've been playing it recently. I know Dan hasn't, because Dan still... Um, I haven't remembered to send him the cereal that I owe him. <laughs> but... Somebody is going to win a cereal. Could even be you, Dan, uh, tonight. Awesome. <laughs> Good luck. Uh, someone's going to win a cereal because we've got four cereals to give away in um, the month of January. Amplitude Fiber sponsoring us the entire month. And um, we have a special way of doing it. We'll come back to it later, shall we, Dan? All right. Cool. Yeah. I don't want to go too much because it's time for Dan's Pick of the Week. Brown is back. Awesome. Hey, Brown. Awesome. Actually, that was Andy's voice that you just heard. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, that was something I, I, you know, I cooked up in a four or five hour recording session this morning. <laughs> All right. Brian and Dan pick. can't actually hear it. Yeah, your pick. Um, I've just got to actually switch to this. This scene, sorry. Again. Again. Yep. Um, Sorry, people. Buttons are all over the place now. I I do apologize. That is Dan's pick, and I'm going to bring in Brown just there. <laughs> oh, there Dan. He is. Over to yeah. you, sir. My pick. I'm taking over. So uh, this week, uh, like I said, 
in, instead of like uh, attending NAM show, ESP LTD they had a couple of live streams. One happening right now, I think. One happened last night, and one is happening tomorrow. And last night they announced the reissue of ESP and LTD's Kirk Hammett signature model, the KH3. And uh, I mean, it's not the fanciest model apart from the spider graphics, but what makes it so special and why I picked it is that it was like the guitar of my wet dreams when I was a child. And, you know, I was always the Ibanez guy, but it was that one guitar from, from my like hero in, in Metallica. It was, of course, James Hetfield and it was Kirk Hammett. And I love the spider. It's just a great, great guitar. And uh, seeing that guitar being reissued with some updated specs, like the EMG Bonebreaker pickups uh, that Kirk Hammett's playing lately, and also slightly updated uh, Spider graphics is pretty cool. And uh, thanks to the the people at Axe Palace, we saw some leakage a little bit earlier yesterday, even before the stream. So we're aware that uh, there will be two versions: the ESP version that is custom shop made and will clock in, I think, at six grand in euros. I know what the US price is, so it's super pricey. But there will also be a little LTD version of it that will be, I think, around 1500 1600 bucks, And that comes basically with the same specs apart from the EMG pickups that do not bear the KH signature. But apart from that, they're pretty close. I think one is, I think, Indonesian or Korean made. And the other one, of course, is Japanese custom shop. So depending what your wallet sa says, you can go either for option A or option B. So, yeah. And that was like a personal pick for me because there was so many news this week. It was just overwhelming and Andy was already kind of filtering everything. But uh, that guitar being, like I said, one of the most beloved guitars from, from my heroes when I was like 12 or 15, it was just my natural pick. So, yeah. Where's the headstock? <laughs> Where's the headstock? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, the it's... headstock is super ugly, but it's just like part of how those guitars look like. But here's a funny side fact. I think in Japan, they sold the first bunch of KH3s actually with the open book kind of headstock. So the headstock itself was not wider, but at least on the upper part of it where it ends, they, they kind of mimicked that kind of open book uh, look of uh, the Gibson guitars. See, that would, make, they... that would definitely make it look better in my opinion. Yeah, I totally agree. But I think uh, Gibson would probably uh, argue that uh, ESP users should not play authentic. <laughs> oh, man alive. Um, I'm, I'm with Brown on that. It looks great until you get to the headstock. Then it, it, for me, it looks cheap. And six grand is not cheap. However, not at all. Uh, I'm, I wasn't a fan of Metallica back then. I wasn't into that guitar, and I can see absolutely, and I agree with you that as a as a, a teenage wet dream guitar, go for it. But six grand, yeah. that is insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it's cool that it's been reissued, and uh, usually those kind of limited editions they are super rare. But I've been told that the ESP version is also being sold in unlimited quantities. So, you know depending on how much money you want to spend on an ESP or LTD, you can either go for the, the original or for the cheaper import version of it. They look both sweet, so that's pretty cool. I, I do like it. I, I don't dislike it. It's just I'm thrown off by the price. Like, that's insane. Yeah. It's like outerworldly. It's just... So when's yours arriving, Dan? When, when is yours arriving? <laughs> I'm not spending six grand on a gauge three. Not happening. Not happening. You must know people. You must. 
<laughs> it, it, I do. Probably, it'd probably go up in value, though, if you did buy one. You know, something yeah. that you keep in the case, you know, instead of, like, you know, having your money in the bank, just think, yeah, I want a yeah. KX3. Just leave it in the case, admire it for a couple of minutes a day, put it back in its case, and then in a couple of years' time, some Metallica fan will come along and offer you 20 grand for it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> not sure actually i got more ivan's guitars that i can admire it's just like it it's kind of nostalgica it's just you know metallica nostalgica nostalgica <laughs> i like that <laughs> yeah so is it is it something you would purchase dan or is it just like you know could you put a picture of, of it instead and, and would that do the same for your your nether regions all right, full disclosure, when I was a child, I had a SA-160, a Black Ibanez Sabre guitar. And uh, when you purchased the, the Binge, and what was the name, Binge Purge and whatever Metallica kind of live show box, they had a little, um, a little spider emblem that you could take out. And I actually sprayed it over and, and put it on my guitar. So I had that kind of same spider look on my SA-160 back in the day. So I, I think probably a printout would do too. It's just to remind me of the good old days when Metallica was everything, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and he doesn't understand those words. Yeah, I, I can I can tell from the look at his face. I mean, <laughs> no, um, I it you know just didn't click for me. I, I it clicks now. Um, I really I like so. what's my my favorite album is Saint Anger. The snare on that is amazing. <laughs> 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 sorry fair the songs on that album are quite good yeah but I, only know, I only know from internet memes it's it's fine i am trying actually brand 2021 is a year that i'm getting into metal which is one of the reasons we've asked you to join today because i want to you know pick your brain and, and your arms and your fingers but uh <laughs> um with a saw yeah, it's 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 starting to appeal. So maybe I go backwards because there are many bands I weren't. In, I wasn't into Johnny Cash for you know for a long, long time. Or Hendrix. I didn't get Hendrix till I was in my twenties. So yep. I know it's going to come probably you know sometime between now and death. But uh, I, hope, I hope it happens. And when it does happen, six grand, baby. <laughs> so we have some news. Um, but I, I, I guess it's just so much news. I mean, I want to go straight to Brown if we don't mind, Dan, and, and we can talk about yeah, sure. news with Brown. So um, sure. let's go straight over there to the main guest scene. There he is, John Brown, Riffhard, Monuments, on the Guitar Stories podcast. Hello, sir. Hello. Our, um, yeah, thanks for having me on. Sorry about the technical difficulties, you know. <laughs> we are pretty consistent is. with our technical difficulties. It's the problem with OBS. Like, uh, it just, uh, it works, and then you turn it off and on again, and then it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> what I like is that I was so sure that it was going to go swimmingly today. So sure. And then it didn't. And I thought, you know, that's life. That's life. <laughs> I, I, I even came on to, to, to make sure that I, uh, you know, prepared by making sure it worked, and then all of a sudden it didn't. <laughs> It is what it is. You're here now. You are free for the evening. You're all ours. And we have many, many questions, namely about your guitar story and, and your history with guitars. Okay. Uh, Dan, have you got, have you got, you got any immediate questions for, for Bran? Because Bran and I have spoken a few times and, and chatted and made videos, but I guess you guys haven't. 
No, uh, no, we haven't. No, no. But I was actually a big admirer of uh, like what he did, not just with Riff Hard, but also uh, he went with Maness and kind of created those super vibrant signature guitars. Uh, I always have been a big fan of him and of his gear too. So it's pretty cool to have him on on the podcast for episode 24. Thanks for coming. Hey, thank you very much. It's much appreciated. I'm happy to be here. I'm glad you like the guitars. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So maybe maybe um, because we, we're called the Guitar Stories Podcast, maybe we kind of outline your personal guitar story. Like, when did you basically start with playing the guitar in a serious way? You know, the kind of, I guess the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The trigger point, let's say, for what really begun for me wanting to play the guitar was I actually heard Bon Jovi's "Living on a Prayer." believe it or not on wow. VH. yeah that was kind of like the catalyst for it the weirdest thing is is that i knew what a guitar was before that but i'd never really understood what an electric guitar was uh-huh. I, I had like acoustic guitars um from about the age of six so my uncle introduced me to like bob dylan started playing a little bit of acoustic guitar got some guitar lessons played some classical guitar and then oh, wow. i'd never I, I mean even i was even listening to basket case by green day when i was seven but i still for some reason didn't really think of what an electric guitar was so i i think it was the bon jovi song and i saw him you know richie sambora dancing around on this table with a guitar and i was like <laughs> i want to do that and then that was amplified further when i watched wanted dead or alive and i saw them on a jet plane i was like <laughs> that's exactly what i want to do i want to play guitar and have my own jet oh <laughs> <laughs> ah the 80s it's gone but yeah that was um that was it i was about 12 years old i want to say um and then my parents for my 13th birthday bought me a westfield stratocaster with a marshall mg10 amplifier there you go and um i couldn't play very well <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they. Uh, it was quite funny. We were in the shop, obviously, picking the instrument for my birthday, and I played uh, Song 2 by Blur, and my parents were amazed that I could even play that. Awesome. <laughs> that was the beginning for me. So, yeah, it was uh, from there just a bit of... Um, I say a bit, but I got kind of obsessed with it. Um, I used to have a computer game addiction, let's say, when I was younger, like most most of us did. <laughs> with uh, the Mega Drive and the Super Nintendo and it kind of replaced a lot of that after I got the electric guitar. It was like, oh, I can turn this up and annoy my parents. This is perfect. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Was there like a pivotal point where you kind of decided, okay, this is what I really want to do for a living? Like I really want to be a serious guitar player and and just see uh, where it takes me from there? It was was kind of almost immediately at that point. it, It was... It, I guess I started getting lessons when I was 14 for about one or two years. And it was a guy called Owen Vaughan Edwards. He has created some of the courses um, with Andy James. I'm sure you guys are familiar mm-hmm. with Andy James, but I know that he, he created some of the courses with Andy James for his site. And he was my guitar tutor for the first couple of years. And he introduced me to players like John Petrucci, Ingve Malmsteen, uh, Van Halen, 
he introduced me to dream yeah dream theater was the big one he introduced me to and i kind of got a bit of obsessed with that sort of direction of the guitar and at that point i was like yeah this is what i want to do i really enjoy this mm-hmm. uh, and that was kind of the catalyst um for it because when i before i went to owen like i could play simple chords a little bit of nirvana you know pretty standard things that you learn to begin with offspring and then yeah went down that route and uh, finally found my sugar wow <laughs> um it's funny because i i remember before really getting into my sugar i i picked up an ibanez um brochure from where i bought bought my first proper guitar what i consider the first you know good level instrument and um it was the year that the ibanez rg 2027 x was out no 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 the x just the x oh right okay you know, the, the one that was, um, it had a piezo pickup. Yeah. Uh, is that it? Is that the guitar on nope. screen now? No, no, no that's the eight string. I'm actually, you actually saw that post on my, uh, Facebook, I guess that's actually funny enough while we were scrambling to get stuff over, I, it actually fell on the floor. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, I recently just bought that guitar back. So that is my Ibanez RG 2228A, which is uh, an eight string with the fixed edge bridge with a set of uh, Damasio deactivators in it. And I sold it back in 2015 to a friend of mine. Um, and he recently let me buy it back so that I could um, basically, it's a bit of a nostalgia because it was the first instrument, well, one of the first of two instruments I got under my first endorsement contract back in All 2000. Right. And I want to say it was 2012. All um, right. Through Headstock who are the distributors of Ibanez in the UK and a lovely man called Christopher Taylor. Um, if you guys, uh, I don't know if you you guys are familiar with Chris. He obviously hasn't worked there for quite a few years now, but yeah, he was the one that gave me that endorsement and it was lovely. Cool. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the magazine that I picked up was from a, a shop in the UK called machine head music based in Hitchin. Um, the guitar player of a band called biomechanical worked there and I loved the band and he actually sold me the guitar um which was a yamaha but at that time i picked up the ibanez brochure before i bought it because i was like i really want the rg470 i really want the ibanez rg470 i just couldn't afford it and i was scrolling <laughs> through this magazine and i was you know i saw the guys from the sugar and it was like huh i'll have a listen to that band and listen to it and i hated it <laughs> and then uh, i also saw system of a down in there uh, on the first album put that on also didn't like it and here we are now system of a down absolutely love that band my sugar one of my favorite bands ever. Um, and it, I'm guessing that was probably the catalyst for it as well, yeah. to a degree. just seeing those artists within that brochure from Ibanez, uh-huh. which is, uh, what, 2001, I want to say, or 2002. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, it would have been 2001 brochure, I think. I was 14, I think, when I bought that guitar, or 13. No, 14, it would have been the year after. So, yeah, that was mm. around that time. Yeah, and that was the beginning, an Ibanez brochure from Machine Head nice. Music. <laughs> awesome and how how was the transition like when you said you started like playing very technical music so when did you decide okay i need like the seven string or ultimately even i want to go with the eight string guitar was that strictly because of Mishuga, or was that a conscious decision from your side to kind of expand your tonal range even further so downwards? what happened was obviously i was really into dream theater so the reason for wanting to buy the seven string originally 
was to learn a change of seasons with <laughs> that lovely 25 minute EP, which I, I still love that out, you know, that EP. I think it's absolutely incredible. And I bought my first seven string from a, uh, a company called music one, two, three, I think it was called they were based in the States. And this is like really early two thousands. And Ibanez had discontinued the Ibanez RG7620 and the Ibanez RG7420. So this Music 123 site were blowing the <laughs> 4, 7420 out for $290. What? How many did you buy? That's a point. Only one. I mean, I was a kid. I was like 17 or 16 at the time. Yeah. 17. I would have been 17 at the time. And obviously it arrived, paid the import tax. I think I ended up paying maybe about 260 pounds. Because this wow. was, this was a, steal. a couple of years after 9-11. So the dollar was worth about 49. So you would get 49 pence to a dollar. So it was roughly, you know, two. So yeah, it was dirt cheap, like absolutely dirt cheap. Um, and I got this Magenta Crush Ibanez 7420, which was pink. It's not <laughs> just pink. <laughs> um, so yeah, I bought that guitar and then I actually really hated it. And it wasn't the fact <laughs> that it was the guitar, what it was. Being used to the seventh string, I just couldn't get used to it at all because... Okay. If you think about a normal guitar, it's an extra low string. So then you're the way that my, my brain just couldn't comprehend it. I was constantly playing wrong. Okay. So I had that guitar for less than two months and sold it for a profit, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I still miss that guitar a lot. Actually, I really do wish that I hadn't sold that guitar. God knows where it's gone. But um, yeah, so my first actual um experience with the seven string was actually that I hated it. And it uh -huh. wasn't until two or three years after that, that I ended up buying a secondhand seven, six twenty, um, in order to actually play the lower tune stuff that we ended up doing with my old band fell silent and eventually onto monuments and what mm -hmm. I do now. Um, the A string thing came about by accident, to be honest. Okay. <laughs> I, I wrote, some riffs where the low the, the low string was tuned lower and then some of the riffs were in the normal tuning so i actually needed the extra string in order to play the song that was a school <laughs> <boy> error <laughs> yeah that's how it started <laughs> um yeah so basically that's that's why i got into the a string obviously Mashuga definitely played a part in that um uh -huh. the sound of Mashuga is really um I guess it's just, it's so, well, at the time it was so unique, you know, it's a, a band hadn't really sounded like that at all. Yeah. And, you know, I, it sounds lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have you played around with eight string much? Uh, obviously I, Dan, you definitely have, but Andy, have you played around with the really low tune stuff? I can imagine that you'd be into like the bass six. And stuff like that. I have a bass six. I have a two baritones. I don't have anything more than a six string, but 
Uh, I really want to try a seven string. I, I accidentally played a nine string once, and there might be a nine string coming on the channel at some point in 2021. Um, <laughs> but eight strings, I, like my brain, I can deal with that. Seven strings is weird because it's seven, because it's an odd number. But eight strings make sense to me because it's an even number. And I can, I can count that. Like like a six string, it's six strings. I know that. A four string on a bass, I know it. Seven strings, that freaks me out. But eight strings, that makes sense. That's really weird. It's extremely yeah. weird. And it makes no sense at all to anyone apart from my tiny little brain. But it's quite I, interesting because the odd numbers make sense. Yeah, but the eight, the, then you have a middle ground. Do you know what I mean? You know where the center is with seven. It makes sense a little bit more. I don't know. Both ways are wrong. Let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're both but, wrong, but um, one of us is more wrong than the other. <laughs> exactly. And let's be honest. When you get an eight string, you don't play seven of the strings anyway. Right. Yeah, you probably just do the chucka chucka. It, like the the weirdest thing with the eight is the moment you start playing the low string, it sounds like the end of the world basically, and then when you go to the next strings, it's like ha, huh, this isn't as fun anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's kind of my that's the issue that I have with the eight is the the tonality right, of the yeah. low string in comparison to everything else. It's it's infectious so that's kind of why when i was saying that i the eight string was an accident i tend to still write that way where most of the stuff that i want to go on the eight string it'll be written on a seven and then i'll transpose to the eight if i think it could be slightly heavier or something that one bit mm. and then mm -hmm. makes sense more to me um and that's actually how i began writing on a seven as well yeah interesting that makes cool. sense. When I play my, my baritone, I generally stay on that lowest string because it sounds just so so full, so warming, so pleasing. And it is. Yeah, it's. I can I can lose hours just on that one string. <laughs> Get a Strymon delay pedal, um, a timeline, uh -huh. and turn it on with the low string. Maybe uh, the the big sky as well, and just let it ring out and play around with some controls. And yeah, you can get lost for a few years if you wanted to. <laughs> I see. I see a weekly live stream coming up. <laughs> Andy plays with knobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, that might be a a, a, a Patreon exclusive. Sarang <laughs> <laughs> so just found the right title: Chug Addiction. Addicted to the chug. Oh, chug addiction is good. That's chugadelish. Chug yeah. That's, that's a great <laughs> name. Chug addiction. Chug addiction. Yeah. Right. Can I have that sarang? Dibs. Dibs, sarang. <laughs> I'm, I'm not joking. I, I need names. I love names. Yeah. I like having names for, for things that don't exist, just having a good name, you know. But now, yeah. now, now I've got both. <laughs> chug. No. Going full circle after the the Ibanez phase, you went with Manus. I did, yes, and and you uh, still are, still am now, yes. And we've I've been with Mayonez since two thousand and fourteen. All uh, right, and yes, yeah, so from two thousand and I want to say it was two thousand twelve, Ibanez to two thousand and fourteen, um, and 
one of well obviously the minus guitars are absolutely epic but one of the main reasons that i started chopping around is that you guys would not build me a 27 inch scale guitar <laughs> <laughs> so um i had um i had a bunch of the old xls so obviously the new ibanez xl the 2027 xl that came out um is a reproduction of the 27.7 XL that I had, and I had two of them. And at the time of my endorsement, I couldn't technically use any of the sevens that were being offered by Ibanez. So I was using these guitars that were at the time over 10 years old. Mm -hmm. So from a perspective of being able to promote the brand with current guitars, it didn't really make any sense. Um, and it wasn't that I, I mean, that guitar was, you know, if pretty much everyone knows me from that guitar, the blue three pickups, low pro edge Ibanez. And yeah. yeah, it was just a case of, um, you only did the 26.5 inch scale at the time. And the 27 is the only thing that really works for me. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, moving on to my like I, I met them at NAM in 2014 um, through their distributor at the time. And there was a guy that worked for that distributor called Chris Johnson, who actually messaged me the other day, actually. It's funny that we're talking about him. There, there's the Devel Catsy 2.0. There we go. Um, so yeah, my uh, my first endorsement was with Minez was obviously just to play the instruments. So okay. uh, I was built a Devel, which wasn't the Catsy model. And um, I played that on a few tours um, and then maybe seven months after we did those guitars, I had a message from the owner, David or Dowd, um, however you want to pronounce it. I still don't fully know. I'm sorry. <laughs> and um, he said, yeah, should we do a signature model? And I was like, yes, because I really want an ash bodied Devel. And at the time they only did it with mahogany. So then we developed the Devel Catsy 2.0 over the course of the next couple of months, which was released in 2000. And I want to say the first Catsy was released in 2016 at the NAMM show. All right. Which was the purple and the green, which you can see there, but they didn't have the matching headstocks. So that was the Devel Catsy 1.0. Uh, six string, obviously 25.4 inch scale, seven string, 27 inch scale with bare knuckle pickups, a nail bomb, ceramic nail bomb in the bridge with a cold sweat in the neck. It's got the mm. shallow Hannes bridge, rest in peace as they just discontinued the seven and eight string versions of their bridges. If anyone at Shala is listening, please don't do that and please start building them again because it is, in my opinion, the best bridge ever made. Yeah. Fun fact, John Schaller is around like 15 minutes from where I'm here. Can you do, can you can you go <laughs> there and give whoever's responsible for that decision a slap? <laughs> I can give you an email address. <laughs> that would actually be great if I, I'll buy the patent for the seven-string version, so I can make it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I I've actually in this drawdown here. Here, I actually have a, a, a little stash of seven-string Shala Hannes bridges that I bought when they yeah. announced that they were discontinuing it. <laughs> so that the next X amount of guitars that get built, I still have the possibility of actually having a guitar that, with the bridge that I like on it. What is it, what is it about <laughs> that bridge that, that it does it for you? What's different? 
so when I was playing the Ibanezes, the low pro edge bridge has a particular, well, actually lack of feel to it. You can't feel that it's there. It's, yeah. it's, if I was to use a tremolo bridge, which I, I used to block them off, but in terms of how it felt, it was wonderful. And um, the Shalahanes has the same thing without the, the problem of it being floating. Right. And I know that Ibanez addressed this with their fixed edge bridge, but the problem with the fixed edge was you still had to cut the ball ends off the strings and it still felt like you had a Floyd Rose bridge <laughs> without actually being able to move it. <laughs> Which, um, when you restring this eight string, it is, I'm not going to lie, a bit of a pain in the ass. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it basically feels exactly like the low pro edge. You can't feel it right. with your hands. And that is the main thing that I love. It doesn't get in the way. There's no sharp bits. It, and it looks cool too. But then again, so does a low pro edge. A low pro edge also looks very cool, doesn't it? Mm. <laughs> I'm just just looking um, at it there. Actually, I, I was I was just checking on on, on a couple of websites, and according to the Schaller website, it says the Hannes uh, bridge is still available or again available. That's interesting. Interesting. Maybe. The six string they didn't discontinue. It was only the seven. All right, only the seven. Okay. Is it you, Brown, yeah. selling them out of your bottom drawer? Like you open a website, you've got a, <laughs> a limited stock of four thousand. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, 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 the funny thing is about the Shala bridge is that the only thing that's different between the seven and the eight is the tailpiece. All right. Okay. And all the saddles attached by a screw. So all they've actually discontinued is a piece of metal this big. Yeah. 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 Why? <laughs> huh. Why? Like, you've just made every seven and eight string player that loves that bridge very sad. I might be one of the only ones, but you still made me sad, Shala. Thank you. <laughs> uh, all right. We're going to sort it out after, after the live stream. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. I know that. But, uh, yeah. Of course. Sorry. I've, I've, you know, I've not, I don't really do these bridges but that that looks fantastic um and i probably yeah. should bring that into the, the chat at some point but yeah um if you haven't if you're watching and you haven't uh, looked at what that is then you can just you know google it you're lazy to bring it in <laughs> <laughs> so there was a question about the, the the actual neck feel like what kind of shape did you go for when you designed your signature cutsy so Katsy? I, yeah, Katsy, that's it. Thank you for pronouncing it correctly. Some people pronounce it Quatsy, which might be right. I actually don't know how to pronounce it, but I say Katsy, so that's the right way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so when um, when we were doing the neck, obviously before that I was using the, the RG277XL, which I was a big fan of, but I did find that it was slightly too thin for my tastes in the fact mm -hmm. that... Um, I kind of like, because I've got quite large hands, so I like a little bit more to the neck. And it's, you know, thin necks are great for certain applications. I don't like a baseball bat. I like something that's comfortable in my hand. So um, this could go down a different route from there. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I just went for a comfortable C shape, basically, All right. okay. which wasn't too thin, somewhere comfortable in the middle. The six-string neck on my signature is actually thinner than the seven-string neck. Right. Like, a little bit. Like, I have a, I have the, a six-string over here that has... It feels like there's almost no neck on it. It's quite interesting. But the seven just has a little bit more to it, just so it's more comfortable. Um, right. So, halfway between an Ibanez and 
maybe a Schecter somewhere in the middle between the two because the Schecter's got a little bit of a fatter profile. The Ibanez is obviously a much thinner profile, especially if you go to those old early 90s universes. And it's somewhere in the middle between those two. Yeah. (laughs) And we made it out of Wenge as well because it's got similar properties to Maple, but it just looks cool, doesn't it? Like the, the dark wood of Wenge it just looks cool and has a good amount of snap to it. Mm-hmm. You also went for a kind of open pour-ish finish, like slightly satinized, but still you can feel like the, the grain and the pores. Of course, yes. Yeah. So yeah. I am totally against painted necks for the most yeah. part, especially when they're glossed. So yeah. the moment you go on stage and you start sweating, it's yeah. pretty disgusting. So... I like the unfinished neck. Obviously, it gets shinier over time, but it still it never gets sticky. Mm-hmm. The gloss finish. So yeah, the almost like the unfinished neck is kind of what I like. You know, the, sat, the satiny, open, porous kind of feel. It almost feels like the woods oils are still pouring out when you're playing it. You know, because <laughs> never gets sticky. Uh, I couldn't could agree more. I'm exactly the same. <laughs> It's weird because like the, the, the gloss neck goes one of two ways when you're on stage. One, your sweat makes your fingers stick or yeah. it feels like you're on an ice rink and you never know which one you're going to get until <laughs> the gig's happening. Does that make sense? It's quite absolutely. weird. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. And funnily enough, you went with a green guitar as one of the color options. <laughs> yeah, let's yes. bring that back yes. up. There it is. Yes, the juice it's, first. This one is actually it, it's a uh, in memory of a friend of mine. Who All right, okay. Unfortunately, passed away in 2015. He was actually an Ibanez in Dorsey as well. Mm. Mm-hmm. So the juice burst is basically Lacoste green in the middle. <laughs> he used to wear Lacoste all the time, and uh-huh. he goes to fluorescent green to commemorate the guitars that he had and uh, yeah he was a uh, he was justin from after the burial mm-hmm. he was yeah, a yeah. You know, ibanez artist for a very long time so that one is dedicated to to justin um mm. and um yeah just uh, yeah that just re- reminded me of him i just wanted to do that i spent a lot of time on tour with justin between 2011 and 2014 um actually a hundred solid days on tour believe that i counted Mm. um which is probably more time than you know you spend with some of your family members in that amount of time um so yeah got to know him really well he's a good friend but yeah um juice burst and his nickname was juice so that's why it was called juice burst all right that's my favorite of the three colors absolutely it's 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 beautiful it looks looks fantastic i've got one hanging up in fact let me uh change my camera so you can see there's one hanging up on the wall over here um switch camera there you go ah, there it is you can over there yeah over there on the i was completely sold on the guitar when when i saw like the finishing combination with the colored pickups because it just adds that extra kind of the zing vibe to it yeah yeah completely yeah. that's super yeah. cool yeah i mean the green one even for cat c 1.0 had the multi uh the multicolored bobbins of a dark green and a lime green kind of color mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, obviously this time with the new edition the there's also the purple bobbin with the gray bobbin for the mm. 
the Adinia Burst, which is the purple one. And then we have the Ruby Burst, which has the red and the grey bobbins as well. Speaking of pickups, right. Bram, um, we've got a question in the chat from Sarang. What kind of pickups do you like or prefer? The My, my favourite pickup ever currently, and has been for the best part of 10 years now, but I think it's actually longer than that. It's the bare knuckle ceramic nail bomb. It's so <laughs> angry, yeah. but it's also really dry. Like it's, you have to work to get it out of the pickup, which is what I like about it. So if I don't hit hard, it doesn't have the sounds that I'm looking for. So it's constantly keeping me on my toes at the same time. It's fantastic. <laughs> so you like a bit of fight with your instruments. That's, that's exactly what I love when you have to really work with it rather than control it. I definitely prefer that as well. And that's actually kind of how I set up amp sounds as well. You know, where the gain is just at the point where if you hit hard enough, you get the saturation you're looking for. But if you don't hit that hard, then it's a little bit drier. Mm hmm. And that's kind of where I like my gain to be. And I think that also just that pickup just adds to that. Like when, I, for example, if I play a bare knuckle war pig, it's almost too much. If I play the bare knuckle aftermaths, it's too much for me as well. And same with active pickups for the most part. I mean, there's a couple of the EMGs that I really liked, like the, the 60, the, the 60, uh, which one was it again? The 57 and the 66. They were really sweet. I really liked those pickups, but yeah, the nail bomb is, is the one <laughs> are you much of a yeah, modder really. are you like you, you you know you're naming all these pickup names all these different parts of guitars are you the kind of guy that that takes guitars apart and and mods them or, or how do you you know how did you have these experiences with different parts i used to do that a lot so when i first started playing i i in fact the second guitar i ever got was a was a was a squire stratocaster in white and I used to just take that thing apart and try different pickups in it, try rewiring it. And, you know, I think that we all kind of did that to a degree. Yeah. You know, like, you know, you know, especially in a Strat, you know, the, the, the jack would always have one cable that came out of it and it would buzz everywhere. And it would. And then while you were fixing it, you were like, oh, all right, there's more cables in here that I can ground with. <laughs> <laughs> like um yeah i can't i mean yeah even with the yamaha guitar i bought i remember swapping out the the stock pickups for like a seymour duncan jb pickup which i know it's that's one of those pickups that some people love some people hate but i really liked the jb I, thought, I think you like the oh, jb man it's, it's one of my favorites it, it, in a certain guitar that's my pickup of choice it's a good, it's a really good pickup. Yeah, but I think it totally depends on what you put it in. Like any pickup, really, isn't it? I played like, it in a, in a strat in the Ed O'Brien, the Radiohead guitar player's signature. Oh, yeah. And it is, okay. it is, that is a great guitar. It's got a sustainer in, in, in the neck, and it's, but that pickup, just like, okay, now I know exactly what pickup I want in every strat. And, um, yeah. Sacrilege. <laughs> a strat needs single coils. <laughs> yes i have a strat that is a full full strat as in you know basic 50s spec uh custom shop fender but yeah. it's not the most versatile <laughs> of instruments and it's not you know i like that little bit of extra poke and that jb does it for me and 
yeah, I, I I don't have that Ed O'Brien anymore. I, I got rid of it stupidly because I thought I had too many strats, which which I do. Oh, my chair just decided to go down. <laughs> um, but yeah, I miss that guitar. There's no such thing as too many strats. Yeah, probably right. <laughs> too few guitar stands, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> So, Brian, is there any guitar that you still miss that you sold because you just recently bought back the RG, the eight string? Is there like any guitar you still have on your bucket list that you want to get back that you sold in a desperate move to to get cash for another new guitar, but now you miss it? Actually, every single time I've sold a guitar, it's because I've been too poor. And I'm okay. sure as musicians, we can all relate to that. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to. <laughs> sell something so there's actually um there's three guitars that i really miss that i've been looking to get back and i don't want just replicas of what they were i want those specific ones that i had so one mm -hmm. was um an rg 2127x which was what we were talking about earlier from the catalog but this was made for the japanese only market they had the okay. so bridge double-edged bridge in it uh, with a pair of pickups and i sold it to James McIlroy from Cradle of Filth in 2008. <laughs> and up and he actually offered it to me three years ago or four years ago now when he was selling it. And I just didn't have the money to buy it back. And I think it's in Canada now. Oh, wow. Okay. But getting that guitar back, seven string, it was only 25.5 inch scale, but there was something cool about that guitar that I just miss. And I think it was just the cool piezo sound for yeah. it. Was that the one in vintage violin? Yes. It yeah. looks like the Meshuggah guitar. Um, yeah. No, not vintage violin. It was called something else, but it was a mahogany body and it looks like the Meshuggah finish. So it had All like, right. okay. uh -huh. it was like that distressed black. All right. Okay. I'll try and find a picture of you after so you can see which one, but the vintage violin yeah. was the 2027X. Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah. And then the 2127X was, an, oh. was a Japanese only market version of it. Which right, okay. darker. We like darker guitars. <laughs> <laughs> the other guitars, well, two guitars, they're kind of related because they were technically the same guitar. So one was a 2077 XL Ibanez, which um, I bought for pennies in Italy in, um, in 2007. And I got it. The, so basically, you know, the, the, the bridge, it has the block at the back on the pro edge. Uh -huh. All of the, the screw holes had ripped. So it needed to be retampered with the block. <laughs> so the guy sold it to me for 300 euro. That's quite a good price. <laughs> yep. A really good price. So I bought this Ibanez 27XL, which didn't have a single dent in it. Wow. It, it's in the case for 300 euro. Um, That's a steal. Yeah. That's a steal. And so I picked that up and obviously I sold that on about it's 2015 as well. So it was eight years later. Um, and that guitar is, it, I recorded both the first two Monuments albums. It's on part of the Fell Silent album. Um, all the live shows between 2007 to 2014 wow That's yeah quite some time yeah and everywhere with me um and i yeah. sold that to a friend 
um, who recently just sold it on, but he said he's got the contact and he'll find it for me to see if he'll let me buy it back. <laughs> and then the, the final guitar was the pre-production of the 1077, which was called an Ibanez RG7680 Limited 1, which was basically a 1077XL in a okay. really strange two-tone finish with glow-in-the-dark binding and fret markers. And they only made 24 of them. And I had one. And I sold <laughs> it because I'm an idiot. Again, <laughs> money. So um, you should check this guitar out, actually. So they did it in two different colors, Andy. They did one that was like this two-tone blue. Give me, give me the numbers again, Frank, because you must have seen my glazed-over eyes when you mentioned those numbers. <laughs> Ibanez. Um, RG. <laughs> 7680. Limited. Limited LCD one I've got. That's the one. Yep. So they did I had the purple finish one. Which, Ultra rare. Yes. It's on sevenstring.org. That might even be the original uh <laughs> post I did to sell mine. <laughs> sure. What's your username on Seven String? <laughs> John Streich nine. No, there's, there's some guy called Midian. I actually think that might have been the one I bought. Old Red. <laughs> yeah. Funny. But, uh, that guitar was a 27-inch scale, and it was the introductory model for the 1077. And I guess the pre-production was to introduce it to the market to see if any interest was um, in the guitar. But um, yeah, there's only 24 in each color. And I had one and I sold it and I'm very sad. And I got it signed by both guitar players from Meshuggah. Oh, mate. <sighs> yeah, I sold it. <laughs> yeah. It's always, it's always like, yeah, like I, I tend to try and not sell guitars. Obviously, I get to a point when I think I have too many and something has to give. Yeah. But yeah, those three, I definitely, definitely 100% regret selling, those three. I I think most of us can relate. <laughs> I think, I, and also, I think that sometimes you get a bit of tunnel vision thinking, oh, I need something new. But yeah. imagine if, you know, Peter Green thought that he needed a new guitar with his Gibson and got rid of it in like the 60s. You know, the one that Kirk Hammett owns now. Um, I think it went from Peter Green to Gary Moore and then from Gary Moore to Kirk Hammett, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, he was on, he held onto that guitar for years. Um, can you imagine owning a guitar for 30 years before you sell it? <laughs> that's, that's insane. Definitely not. It becomes part of yourself. Yeah. I mean, and, and it, Peter Green thought that that was the best sounding guitar ever made, didn't he? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, one day I'll find those guitars again. Yeah, I just want to be sure you want to find those exact guitars, not ones like in the same range and same year, but those exact guitars that you sold. The exact ones, yeah. So, like the uh, obviously the eight string, <laughs> the one here, is, <laughs> is the exact one, and it's still on the case, still has the last flight tag that I took. So the last flight I took with that case, that is still on the case. Awesome. <laughs> oh, wow. 
the same strap was on the guitar is still on the guitar and um all the writing that i did on the case for you know saying that it was my second guitar and not to forget it (laughs) is still written on the case as well yeah so yeah in the case is just over there i could go and get it but i won't (laughs) so yeah it's definitely definitely the one that's amazing. So, would you recognize your guitars? Like, if you if you've been offered one of the the limiteds, for instance, yeah, would you be able to tell? Yeah, it's signed by my sugar on the back of the headstock. Oh yeah, there you go. Okay, yeah, okay. And uh, so I also put someone chip in it in a very specific spot, and it made me very upset. Oh. I fell up the stairs, oh. and I put a massive <laughs> chip in the front of it. <laughs> Oh boy! I hope nobody wiped the Meshuga signatures off. They might have done, but I'll recognize that chip immediately. All right. Yeah. When you do your you know, the first chip on a guitar, you kind of recognize it forever. Yeah. Yeah. The first cut Burn. is definitely the deepest. That's exactly. Yeah. Do you like to keep your guitars like pristine or as close to to case condition as possible, or are you do you view them as tools? Tools, definitely. Yeah, yeah, like the, the only time when I get angry about it having a new dent is when it's done by the TSA. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, when we go on tour, I have one of those three-way Scott Dixon cases where you put three guitars into one case and it weighs less than 23 kilos. And that basically means to a airport luggage handler, destroy me. <laughs> so what happens is is especially when you go to the states they'll open the case and then they'll take the guitars out of these slots and then they don't push them into the slots properly so what you have is a massive shaker filled with Uh guitars Mm. and every single time you open it up after a flight you're like ah i don't recognize that then (laughs) (laughs) like uh there's actually one guitar here um i'll grab it actually so you guys can see and um, you can see where the strap button has hit the front of the guitar numerous times. So let me just show you that. <laughs> I'm excited. Oh, well, that's a tra- yeah, that's a traveling musician's pain. <laughs> so I'm going to change camera angle so you guys can see this a little bit better. And should be able to see on the front here. Yeah. It's not. Uh, there you go. Oh. Oh yeah, that that was it when, mm-hmm. it, when it turned around. Man, that's that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a bunch in the back, but it's a lot harder to see because of the ash. There's even imprints of where the strings from the guitar behind it. <laughs> <laughs> you can literally see the string imprint. It's amazing. <laughs> oh boy so yeah guitars are tools until someone else does it and you absolutely don't absolutely true yeah. yeah maybe maybe one day you'll have kids or, or I don't know if you have kids but um, then it becomes interesting because ah uh, yes <laughs> when they pull a string and it falls off the stand yeah, oh, <laughs> my, my kids are actually really really good and they have guitars of their own which they take care of and they're they're you know almost ruined, but but they still function and they they play really well. But um, they really appreciate them. But just sometimes they just they I can see in their eyes they know it's wrong, but they're like I must do it, and, you know. <laughs> uh, <bink. laughs> 
<laughs> yes. Yeah. I don't have kids, but um, I have a, uh, a nephew. And when he was two to three years old, um, I spent quite a bit of time at my sister's house. And whenever I would pick up my guitar, he would come running over and he would go. <laughs> on all the strings. So, yeah, I, had, I always had to put it in the case. Oh, that sucks. That's what cases are for, right? TSA, airport staff and babies. <laughs> and children. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. I must say, it's really nice to hang out with you again, Brian, because um, we met briefly at 42 Gear Street at Hennig's place uh, last year. That's weird saying last year. Um, Isn't it? That was an intense couple of days, because I, I feel like I know you better than I do, but we were all, you know, we all got in quite... Uh, with masks, of course, uh, and with social distancing quite tight. And um, <laughs> you started me on a journey that I am nowhere near qualified to even begin on, on playing metal and, and, and going into that genre. But one of my New Year's resolutions is to try and get out of my comfort zone as a guitar player. Because I, I generally hang around the pentatonic scale, fuzz pedals, blues rock, you know, sort of that kind of area, your standard players area. But in my love of fuzz, there's a sort of, there's a gateway to distortion and, the, and these low strings as, as we were talking about. And um, uh, I posted something on Instagram earlier with uh, this week with uh, the new Ibanez Geo. Dan, tell me what it is. You mean the GRG221? That's the one, the, the girl. Yep. And um, I had a lot of fun playing the riff, but and the tone in the room sounded quite nice, but when I heard it back on the phone, I'm like, oh my goodness, that is horrible. <laughs> and people were actually quite polite, but it was like... <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually thought it sounded great. I actually listened to oh, this. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes, I actually saw this, because I think I got tagged in it, and it's like, Andy's trying to downpick like you, man. <laughs> I, I did. I did that. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that was you. Yeah, of course. Yes, of course. It was. So, um, it was "Rain and Blood" by by Slayer, and um, yeah. I mean, what a way to go for for a first attempt. But it, it was totally brand new for me. Um, the the aggression was still there because I grew up with grunge music and, and Nirvana were my inspiration for guitar. So that I'm more about expression than I am technique, and. Um, mm. um, I love the fact, like, I know that I have holes in my guitar playing, big ones, and I love that metal is, uh, generally speaking, I, I like how mathematical it is, how, you know, you have these different um, subdivisions of, of the beat. And with Rain and Blood, I was like, I could not, like, ba -da -da, on that, that first beat is um, is harder than the rest. That is not something I'm used yeah. to playing. And it, it confused my brain so bad. <laughs> I've got the perfect thing to confuse you further, mate, if you want, I want to. It. I'm going to give you a login for my guitar tuition site, <laughs> which is predominantly focused on um, intensively increasing your rhythm chops. Nice. So I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you a little sample of Riff Hard so that you can <laughs> test it. And I'll also send it to you as well, Dan, so you can check it out. <laughs> Awesome. Thanks a lot. You were, you were a massive Metallica fanboy, so I'm pretty sure that you are a, a connoisseur of the downpicking variety. Definitely. 
My dad, thank you, gotta, you very much. I, I, it's a very kind offer, and I hate you a little bit. So, thanks. <laughs> no, honestly, it, like if you come along, I promise that if you do some of the exercises for a little bit every single day, you will see massive improvements really quickly. I mean, did you try the exercise that I showed you from? Gear yes, Street? and without that, I wouldn't be able to be at the the, the, the small stage that I'm at right now. Um, my my damn picking comes from from uh, Billy Joe Armstrong from from Bas uh, from Green Day and the Basket Case sort of era. Dude, that guy is phenomenal. I don't think he gets the credit nope. he deserves. And it's funny. I was reading a Steve Vai interview not too long ago, and he actually said he actually praises Billy Joel Armstrong in it. And the reason why is is that you can instantly tell when it's yes. him. There you go. Yeah. He just has this when he plays chords, it just sounds like the end of the world. I mean, for me, the ending of Boulevard of Broken Dreams yeah. is awesome. It sounds the guitar tone is so good. The guy knows what he's doing. He's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. and he stays in in that sort of area. As you said, you always know when it's him playing and you even know when it's someone who's trying to play like him and it isn't him. Because yeah. it's really close, but it's this like this pop punk power punk sort of movement that was happening there's elements of his style in there but it's not him and it's not the guitar it's not the pedals it's not the amps it's him plus all that stuff i'm pretty sure he's down picking basket case yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i i i could play it years ago when i was a lot younger but this is back when you know I learned it from the video. We're in this when they're in this uh, hospital, the mental hospital. So well, that's the, the that's the uh, video I was telling you about that I watched when I was a ah. kid when I was seven. Yeah, the, that yeah, was orange exactly. jumpsuit, isn't it? That just that's burned into my mind so deeply. Drummer being wheeled in in a wheelchair, yeah. you know. <laughs> but like that that came out what Dookie was ninety three, wasn't it? Or was it ninety four? It was. A, I, I can't tell you when it was. Not ninety five. Oh, I, I hate saying. I hate saying absolutes. <laughs> it was not ninety five. It's ninety five. <laughs> but I'm so glad that you said Ducky. Yeah. Because I get why. Because that's what I say. And people, uh, when I made the video for the the Ducky pedal. 1994, February the 1st. When I made the, the video for the pedal, all I've got is Americans on there saying, oh, dookie, what's dookie? And it's dookie, or, or I don't know. It means, it means poo, doesn't <laughs> it? It probably is technically dookie, but I mean, I always, I don't know why, I always said dookie. Yeah, me too. I don't know why. I, I've actually never met someone else that has said that, so I, thank you. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's an English thing. Yeah, I mean, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have those things back then. So I read a word, and it stands like Wookie, right? Like Chewbacca. Exactly. Spell it the same. Yeah, exactly. Wookie Dookie. Yeah. <laughs> and also, Americans speak English. Huh? <laughs> John, it's, it's an international show, John. <laughs> I know, I'm only so, it's all good. So, talking about the picking hand, like I've, I've got one specific question because um, a lot of a lot of times people say you got to like train your hand, but you also like keep it keep it trained. How do you maintain your picking speed? For instance, when you take a break from playing, when you go on vacation, do do you see some some kind of like movements and your capability of how fast you can pick and how cons uh, consistent you can pick? Of course, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, like the, the, the hand is just like any other muscle in the body. 
and you know if you don't go swimming cycling running or whatever if mm-hmm. you're playing football or something like that if you don't do it for a couple of weeks mm-hmm. you have to retrain to get back up to the standard that you were at and it it's no different than with the picking or the fretting hand with a guitar and mm-hmm. if i don't play guitar if like if, if i don't play a monument song for months and i'm not gonna lie i've not played a monument song in quite some time i know that, <laughs> i know that when i when i have to go and do it it's gonna probably take a couple of hours minimum to get it right. back to what it was and as far as exercises go i mean i hate to keep plugging riff hard <laughs> plug away plug away <laughs> but a lot of the exercises on riff hard i find are really 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 good for just building up strength again and there's uh-huh. one in particular on the site that i do consistently go back to just because it, it it's fun to play and i know that if i do it for x amount of time a day over the course of a week that i'm going to be able to get back to what i was if i haven't been playing that much obviously when we're on tour it's not so much of a problem because we're playing you know 60 to 90 minutes a night and that's enough to at least maintain what mm-hmm. my job is on that particular, you know, for that particular month or however long we're away for. But, um, you know, just doing a couple of exercises from the riff hard site is generally enough to keep and maintain what is there, um, for what I need to do. I mean, the song docks is a completely different kettle of fish. So, I mean, that one definitely requires some going back over for it. Um, but it, it, I mean, if you listen to, you know, Master of Puppets, like it's playing that from start to finish all downpicked is insanely difficult. Mm-hmm. And like, I've, obviously there's a video of me doing it and um, I'd have to train back for that to do that again, for sure. It's um, eight minutes of complete, it, it, it's an endurance race. Yeah, that song. Yeah. Um, any Metallica song is, I mean... Uh, James Hetfield doesn't get the love he deserves, in my opinion, at all. They might be the biggest band in the world, but as a guitar player, people should be, their fa- their jaw should be on the floor, especially if you watch Live in Seattle from 1989. It's just absolutely unreal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fully agreed. Yeah. Super cool. I have um, a question from the chat. I thought uh, I thought Dan was going to go for it. Then we have some dead air. Um, Guillaume is asking if you do, if your palm rests when you're chugging, or if your muting is from the left hand mostly, because it sounds like left hand release more than palm muting. It's both. So oh, wow. um, I can show it as an example here, actually, with uh, this. Oh, in fact, I've got my six string over here, which is even better. Hey, like. <laughs> Do you, like, do you like my pick um, container? Wow. <laughs> Mind blown. <laughs> and um, right, I'm going to get a six string and then change camera angle to sort of, oh, I've got so many guitars around my chair. Look at that end of buried in guitars by the end of the show. <laughs> yeah. Totally. So like, um, just as an example, I'm changing camera angle here so you, see a little bit better yes perfect so say i pick closer to the bridge here my palm mutes are going to be fatter they're going to be more open but the moment i start moving my right hand forward to the middle of the pickup 
you start getting more of that. It's more metallic, for lack mm-hmm. of a better word. So then combine that with, I'm just changing camera angle one more time. You can combine that with a left-hand slap, for example. Then you start getting, the, I know that's probably difficult to hear through the mic, but you start getting the consistency between both the left hand and the right hand, and it actually sounds like it's one and in the same. Mm-hmm. And that's probably like what this guy's hearing. So like some of it is left hand slap, but imagine what I'm trying to do with the left hand slap is something like a ghost note from a snare drum. You know, say you've got a drum beat and you take all the ghost notes away the the drum beat doesn't groove quite as much. The, the the ghost notes kind of help with the pulse, and that's kind of what I do with the left hand slap. I'm trying mm-hmm. to keep the pulse of the riff, so it's kind of a mixture of both depending on what the part is. Um, plus, it feels cool to do the left hand slap. <laughs> can you can you show us <laughs> one, one more time? Because I was really soaking all that in. I just want to hear it again, if we may. Yeah, sure, no problem. You guys can hear it on yeah, the yeah. Uh, on the camera. You hear a difference, yeah. Okay, cool. So let me. And then obviously with its distortion as well, it's kind of it's kind of a bass technique, isn't it, more than anything? I have no idea. And it just sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the um, yeah, no bass technique, like think about pop and slap technique. Okay, all right, yeah, yeah. Where you're slamming down the left hand and it gives you that muted kind of bass note thing. And if you think about it, like if you're playing with a wall of distortion on it on your guitar just using your right hand to mute notes. It doesn't really mute the note. You kind of need to mute from both in order to get tight. So that's kind of what that's doing. It's choking the note and adding a slight different percussive sound to the riff. Even though with a wall distortion, it kind of has the same sound, but if you try playing it with your right hand, it doesn't sound right as well. So that's kind of why mixing both up is, it just keeps it tight and still sounds cool to me anyway. But, um, do, you, do you happen to have like issues with the uh, synchronization of both hands when you when you haven't played for a long time or is it more like uh, that kind of endurance and, and, and strength to get that back on level kind of retrain yourself I think, I think to a degree yes the coordination on the more complex parts definitely takes a little bit of work okay it's like anything you know everyone has good days and bad days and you know some people sometimes people don't think about that you know like i'm sure you've seen a band for like say you take a band and you've seen them five times at the same venue guaranteed there'll be one time that you thought was better than the other four and <laughs> we're just human you know it happens like some days you'll won't be able to play something and you go back to it the next day and you breeze through it um mm-hmm. so as far as the synchronization goes yeah sometimes it's shot <laughs> you know sometimes it just isn't working i mean um try and get me to play guitar and write something after 8 p.m at night my brain doesn't work properly it doesn't work the same (laughs) 
<laughs> and if you want to see that, just come and watch a Riff Hard live stream. It's quite funny. <laughs> the moment it hits eight, nine o'clock, I, for some reason, I just I can't play the same. It's I think it's probably like a, a combination of being maybe slightly hungry and my brain starting to think, all right, it's time to watch some TV and go to bed. <laughs> um but yeah as far as the tra- the training goes yeah i mean obviously a little bit of synchronization depending on what it is if i haven't played a song in ages then maybe it takes a little bit of time to remember how it grooves right. uh-huh yeah. Uh, yeah but generally like the the mechanics always kind of stay there it's more the endurance and the stamina that needs to be rebuilt back up um yeah. playing for long periods of time like I, 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 master republics is a perfect example of that I, I would not be able to play all eight minutes of that right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's something that would probably take me about a week to get back into. Yeah. All right. Others, it takes them a lifetime. So <laughs> lucky you. Well, I, I've just started. Yeah. Do you practice? <laughs> yeah. John, do, uh, do you practice with, with amps or also unplugged? Because I've, I've noticed that, especially with those kind of techniques where you got to do a lot of um, muting and, and, you know, kind of synchronization of both hands, it kind of can be detrimental when you only try to to um, to rehearse that unplugged. But as soon as you plug in the amp, it's a totally different animal because you've got so, much, so many different noises going on. It's also But, dependent on the amp as well, I found. Yeah. So, yeah. for example, like, uh, you see this wooden block amp that's just behind me here. This was brought in by... My friend Dave today, um, I can't remember who makes it. It was just like a home-built, uh, yeah, it's a Healy Sapphire. I'm pretty sure you've probably never heard of that company. No. It's a one-watt amplifier with an EL84 Class A with two tubes in it, uh, two you know, preamp tubes. And so say I'm playing through something like that where when you start turning up, you start getting power amp distortion. It's a completely different feeling than say something like a, a Hughes and Kettner or a Synergy or Driftwood or a Rev or something like that. And each of them kind of feel a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to this percussive stuff, you'll start finding that you play it slightly differently depending on what amp or what sound you're playing through as well. Um, I'm pretty sure that you've probably noticed this, down when you're like uh, going between guitars as well. You'll find that the pinch harmonic spot is slightly different, sure. um, yeah. stuff like that. So it's exactly the same thing. When you play through, when I play through my pod by Line Six or my Helix or the Axe Effects here, it's again ever so slightly different. Like it'll either be maybe my hand needs to move closer to the bridge or slightly further forward. I actually believe that you play to the amp, and okay, I've noticed that a lot when I'm playing different amps that something will change ever so slightly, even mm-hmm. if I don't necessarily notice it in the moment when. Like, say I see a video playing back and it's like, oh, my hand's quite far back for that bit. Trying to get the same level of, you know, of, you know, like a more metallic palm mute or something like that. Uh, Like for a dual rectifier, for example, like the bottom end is quite big. And to get that metallic palm mute, I'll probably be moving my hand slightly further forward, even with a boost pedal in front. Um, Stuff like that. It's, it's, It's kind of difficult to explain, actually. But yeah, it like... Playing acoustically like this, I tend to only do when I'm writing music. And then everything else I'll usually play through either a clean patch or a heavily distorted patch. Um, clean patch sometimes, because I so then you can work out the notes easier 
if you know what I mean, if you have the idea, you can hear the notes a lot easier and you can start like actually piecing it together a little bit easier because mm-hmm. it's easier just to hear the notes. But then obviously something that works in clean generally will work in distortion for the most part, and but not vice versa. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, yeah, it's kind of, I, I kind of practice all three ways. Like, um, for example, we have a song called Quasimodo and um, I wrote the main two riffs from that song on an acoustic guitar um, and then had to work out those little mechanical mechanics bits like the palm mutes and stuff like that afterwards. So, uh-huh. but yeah, um, <clears throat> totally depends on what I'm playing through, but yeah, it changes ever so slightly. Yeah. Awesome. Great. I mean, I mean this in the most positive way possible. You are such a nerd. I love it. i'm forgetting that i'm on camera i'm enjoying listening to you talk about this stuff with such passion so much that i saw myself on screen like going (laughs) because i'm just i'm in the zone of enjoying someone talking about guitars and actually knowing what they're talking about and and using the guitar and the amp together as one instrument and you know the player the amp and the guitar and and everything that goes in between is is one unit um, and that's how you come across to me as a player. It's quite funny, like you know, like we're always talking about like different pickups to use, and maybe we use this different pedal or, or something like that. But generally, that stuff, even though yes, you'll enjoy how it feels and maybe how it sounds when you're playing it. Ultimately, the sound of how something sounds is most certainly in the way that someone plays. And I know that this is an ongoing argument since the early days of forums where people were like, tone is not in the fingers. And it's like the the easy way to know that is there's a really simple way to test this out. And you go to your mate's house, you record him playing through your his rig or her, and then you play on the rig and you will sound completely different than that person on the same equipment. Like, I mean, it'll be completely different. And that goes to show that regardless of what equipment you're using, it's going to sound different. Like, it, you, the tone is in the fingers, it's how you play. So a good example of that, say I pick my string lighter than someone else, that means there's going to be less distortion on their sound versus the person that hits harder because that's how physics works. You know, <laughs> I hit the string harder. The pickup is going to pick up more more of the string rattle, and then that's going to create more gain through my distorted channel of my amp. I was people will not work that out. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it, yeah, literally, just go to your mate's house, play through their rig, keep the settings exactly the same, record both of you, and it will have differences, pretty big ones that you will be like, huh, all right, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I did a creative live with um, Al Levy, uh, Monuments did, and me and Ollie recorded a, a riff through the same amp, and it just sounded totally different. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be, you know, you could say it's pick, you could say it's something else, but generally, it's if you pick harder, there's going to be more gain, and just the way you play, tone isn't the way you play. Yeah, I'm gonna get everyone's gonna hate me now, aren't they? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> you just outkicked us. You outkicked the Avenue geek. You outkicked the guitar geek. It's just, <laughs> it's insane. 
insane. Oh, I absolutely agree just, with you, John. Uh, sorry, Dan. Yeah, I, I just wanted to kind of continue on your uh, journey of, of developing like uh, downpicking skills. So, John, when when you kind of develop your own technique, how did you do that? Did you, especially your your pretty unique uh, technique and, and your tone, did you kind of do exercises and then also record yourself and check that back and forth? Or what, what was kind of that, that kind of practice routine that you would go for? It wasn't recording myself. Well, sorry, it was recording myself, but not exercises. So okay. I would tend to write music and it would be all down picking because, you know, Hetfield is life. <laughs> <laughs> You know, just to talk about downpicking a little bit, the main reason for it, I mean, the best way to explain it is imagine a drummer and he's got two feet and when he's playing a kick drum or she's playing a kick drum, you'll notice that the leading foot, if they're right handed, obviously their right foot will be much stronger than the left foot in the, the way that it, and if you record a drummer, you'll see it. You'll see, you'll see it on the waveform. You'll see that the, the right kick or the leading foot kick is way There's way more of a transi on it. It's louder. And I kind of feel the same way about the pick when you're doing down versus down and up together. There's a certain point where it's not going to be exactly the same. The muscles in the hand need to be different from going down to up. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so I've just found that, you know, if a drummer can play a particular kick pattern with one foot versus two feet, it's going to sound better just because it's focused on one limb rather than two. Um, mm -hmm. I, I mean, you, come on, you guys have played with loads of drummers. You know when they're doing that double kick and it sounds like a horse jogging along? <laughs> being, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, and the left one isn't as strong as the right one or the leading one is stronger than the non-leading one. And I've always found that's the same thing for guitar. Look at your DI tracks when you're playing is a good example of seeing the difference between down picking a riff and alternate picking a riff. Yeah. See the consistency is much better when you down pick it all. Any, pretty much any engineer of metal on the planet will tell you the same thing as well. If you can down pick a riff, just do it. It's going to sound better. Yeah. Um, so as far as like what I did, I, I started obviously recording myself back in 2001, but I started using Cubase in about 2003, 2004 sort of time. In between the years of 2006 and 2009, I think is where the biggest sort of jump happened, was just okay. really focusing on what I was doing wrong based on the information I was hearing when listening back to my playing. And that could have been, you know, from changing how much gain I was using, but also just trying to play in what I consider to be the pocket. Mm -hmm. So... You know, when, you know when you've recorded a good take, it feels good. Do you know what I mean? Against the drums and and that's what music is. It's about picking the perfect take and it's about finding it as well. And, you know, just listening back to those DI tracks and hearing like, I could have hit that note better. It could have been more consistent with everything else that's going on around it. And that was what I did. I wrote my own, my own songs and... Um, basically really focused on making sure I was in the pocket and mm -hmm. making sure that it was consistent. I wanted to see that it was consistent. Right. I wanted like, uh, you know, when you, you know, when you've got a good drummer and you see the audio waveforms and the snare 
when it's meant to be hit hard, it's always at the same level. And when it's like a roll, you can see that it's going up in a lovely sweeping curve. Mm-hmm. Um, when the, the, the hit's meant to be soft versus like full on, you can tell that it was meant to be that way and not that they hit that drum like shit. <laughs> um, that's kind of it. Yeah. So consistency, I think that was like the one thing that I was really striving to do when I was recording okay. myself. Uh, and not with exercises, just as I said, the songs that I wrote, um, that's, you know, it keeps it fun as well. You know what I mean? It's, uh, you've got an end goal. You want this riff to sound the best it can be. Yeah. So at that point, it's like, it's more, it's not really a challenge anymore. It's more like, it's like playing a game, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Next level. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want to beat the, I want to 100% this game. That's what it is, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and uh, the Jason Richardson is really good at that. Our <laughs> player, he is phenomenal, and he—I think that's probably how he thought with what he was playing as well, because he is—he's not human. He's phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, Andy. Dan. I um <laughs> I, I guess the whole way is right in front of yeah, you. Yeah, it's it's yeah it's it's open. It's there. I mean, it makes sense. It's like if you sit around, eat crisps and chocolates, and don't go to the gym, or or you do on the other side. You know, your body starts to change, and if you don't practice yeah. guitar properly, you your guitar playing starts to change, and um, <laughs> yeah, not always for the better. And I found like just through doing the YouTube channel and. I spend too much time editing video and not enough time playing guitar, which I'm trying to change. But recently in 2021, very recently, um, I'm playing more guitar <laughs> as a percentage of my day. And that's, again, one of those resolutions. Like, it's it's not just a resolution as I must do this. It's, it's what I want to do, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it's it just, it's... it's. Did, did you find, though, that you got really good at video editing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I certainly got better. I certainly knew my keystrokes and you know all, all those things. Like bang, bang, bang. But then I'd come to see that. That's the problem. I'd come to my guitar playing, and it would take me longer to edit because I'd played worse. You know. So there's this. Yeah. There's this must be this golden ratio of time spent, where I've rehearsed enough, but not forgotten how to edit video, and remembered how to edit video, and not forgotten how to play guitar, because both makes it quicker. It's a very unique position to be in, but um. <laughs> have, you, um, have you thought about it like this when you're trying to learn guitar? Is maybe focusing on one tiny little aspect that you want to improve that day, rather than seeing as it like as a whole? Because if you look at the guitar as a whole, or just you yeah. know, when you, I think the best way to explain it is when you're trying to write music, and it's like the the possibilities kind of endless, yes. and it kind of feels that way when you're trying to learn. Sometimes is that maybe you should focus on one specific micro technique like like a pull-off like you want to pull off to sound a certain way maybe focus on that or say you want to do something with a tap in then try and do something based around what it is you're actually trying to achieve and then the the whole process of actually trying to get better at the guitar seems all of a sudden a lot less daunting than maybe it could be and then a week later you've created like a little exercise for yourself based around these techniques and all of a sudden a week later you have filmed yourself and it's like huh i can play that part a lot better now 
No, I, um, yeah. I totally sucked myself out about halfway through last year, like seeing the guitar and the guitar world as this, as what it is, you know, this huge behemoth of possibility. And the only way, to, I believe the only way to do anything is to break it down into bite-sized little chunks. And as you've said, attack yeah. them independently and really compartmentalize those different pieces and I see it like I, I have a um, I see it like a like a game a computer game where where you have you can you get so many points at the beginning to spend on your character and you can spend some on speed <laughs> and some on strength and stamina and maybe magical abilities and then you, you they grow you know and they they go up but if you don't use magic for a while your magic abilities disappear whatever <laughs> <laughs> that's how my brain figures it out you know life's a game that's what I'm trying to say <laughs> <laughs> no that's actually the perfect way it's like yeah you don't want to it's like having the overall vision of what you want to achieve but knowing how to get mm. there through strategic small step yeah for sure that's, that's why I've gone on this metal journey because it's so new it's it's very clear to me what I can't do and therefore what I need to work on so then I can then apply that yep. to my other styles that I enjoy playing and, you know, break out of the, the old little ruts that I was in because I've built something through playing a different style. And, yeah, it, it's it's opening doors and really changing my enjoyment level because that's why I play guitar. I don't play it to, to play a certain speed or a certain many notes per minute or whatever like that. I play it because I want to enjoy those little moments when you might hit one note and you think, oh, that was cool. <laughs> those are the moments aren't yes. they they're that like it's, it's yeah that that's the moments that i enjoy as well like when you accidentally play a sequence of three notes that sends you onto a journey of writing a song that's it yeah and having the tech if you think about it like when you're learning all these new techniques all you're really doing is facilitating your ability to express yourself yes. sure thing yeah like, so learning metal even even if it's not your favorite genre in the world um learning an aspect of every genre just adds to your vocabulary that you're able to achieve when you have that idea thinking i want that one riff <laughs> you know or uh you know i want to do a funk bit um then it's there you don't have to like spend lose the idea because you don't have the ability to do it that makes sense absolutely absolutely yeah guitar's pretty good isn't it <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's pretty cool isn't it it's, like, it's definitely the coolest in, well actually bass is pretty up yeah, if, if we're honest bass is much cooler <laughs> it is like bass it's the way that you can express on yeah. it it's so cool isn't it it's it's kind of ah oh, it's just it's what I kind of wish I was <laughs> <laughs> full disclosure <laughs> Do you know, funny thing is, is that I started learning bass before guitar. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, then my bass teacher looked very upset when I walked into school with my new electric guitar. Oh. <laughs> you defected. Oh. <laughs> I did. Was, Another no, one. No. Yeah. <laughs> Be satisfied with the back of the stage. <laughs> but yeah no, guitar's cool I love playing it I quite like drums as well I, I did bass and I was in a band before I could play an instrument that's that's where I come from my, my true passion is just saying yeah I can do that 
and then realizing you can't. <laughs> you joined a band before you could play an instrument. I formed a band before I could play an instrument. That's amazing. I did a gig before I could play an instrument. I was on the drums, like thinking, <laughs> yeah, I can handle this. I'll just sit at the back. Yeah, yeah, really did. Really, we played a gig, and, and um, I don't remember how well it went, but I enjoyed it. Did you did you, did you you block it out from your memory? No, I, I can still remember being there on the school stage and people shouting rude words at me from the back of the hall. I don't think it was that good to listen to, but I certainly, you know, I got the bug from that moment and then uh, realised that I should probably put some work in, you know. <laughs> so what did you think that you were just going to get on stage and you could magically what? play the drum <laughs> no no that would be ridiculous <laughs> what I thought was <laughs> my grandfather is a drummer and I used to spend almost every Saturday night sat behind him when he would play at the British Legion playing maracas watching him play and sing at the same time and that's how you know I got this bug for music. And I thought via osmosis and genetics and DNA, which I didn't <laughs> understand back then, my grandfather's a drummer, therefore it's in my blood, therefore I am a drummer if I just try it. Fair <laughs> I'd say that's, uh, that's I mean, I kind enough. of studied it, you know, sitting behind him drinking lemonade and smashing maracas together, which was the wrong way to play maracas, I learned. But um, yeah. <laughs> to be fair, most of the learning is done through um, through listening and observation. So you weren't wrong, but then you need the skill set to do the mechanics. Yeah, I just didn't have the chops. <laughs> yeah. I, I, exactly, I blame yeah. the bassist for not locking in with me. You know, at that particular gig, he, he was just <laughs> he was not practiced enough. <laughs> but we did all wear matching trousers, so you know we we nailed it really. If, if you ask me. Only trousers. No, we wore t-shirts as well, but only the trousers were matching. We were half naked. <laughs> not in, not in that band. That was, that was a different band. <laughs> yeah, but amazing. I really enjoy guitar and music, and finally, I'm about to hit forty this year, and I thought it was about time that I could actually be happy with my playing. So, this year is the year that I really knuckle down, and you know get more enjoyment by working harder. I think it's just about working smarter, actually. Yeah. And harder. Because obviously you're a hard-working fella. We see it all the time with all your videos and stuff like that. I think it's, yeah, I think it's just a case of maybe working smarter and just knowing what it is you wanted to achieve from the guitar, by, which by the sounds of it, you do. So, yeah, it's, it's about efficiency for me because as a father and a guy that works at home, I don't have that much spare time, so it's, as I'm sure for the rest of us, you know, I'm certainly not unique in that sense. Uh, even though my yeah. job is guitars, um, you want your own personal guitar time, you know? Exactly, yeah. And it's it's quite funny, actually, because, you know, when we're, we're kids and we're starting to learn this instrument, you don't really realize that after the age of about 20, you're you're not able to play the instrument for four to ten hours a day anymore. Because you have this thing called bills. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, like, I, I, you know, I, I really do wish that I picked up the electric guitar earlier than I did. 
which was age 13, which, you know, seems to be a pretty typical age of when people pick up an instrument. But like, I think that between, you know, the ages of zero and 20 is when the real focus happens. And then after that, it's, well, I mean, whether it's correct focus or not is another thing, but I think that that's when it happens. And then after that, it's all about maintaining and learning bits and pieces at a time as you can, uh, especially, you know, if you've got kids. Yeah. <laughs> but how old are your kids, Andy? Mine are three and five, but almost in the next year. Okay, so have either of them gravitated towards the guitar? Because this is where your guitar time can increase if one <laughs> is exceptionally interested in it. They both are. They both <laughs> like music. They like dancing. They like expression. But they both want to do it at the same time, which is an issue because the skill levels and the mental side of being three or five is very, very different. And the attention span and also the motor skills. Um, so it's very hard for me to separate them to actually spend some time with them. Um, but I'm very careful not to push it upon them. But if they ask, if my daughter says, can we play some guitar? The answer is always yes, no matter what I'm doing uh, at that point. Mm -hmm. um, so I can't really answer your question because they are interested in everything. Um, <laughs> but I think my son is definitely interested in the mechanics of a guitar. He loves screwdrivers and things like that. And he can really uh, you know, he can control a tool. Um, so he, he sits in the often on the bench and we're, we're talking about the mechanics of a guitar and then he's interested, you know, and that's, that's yeah. totally a different way to what I got into guitar. So it's very interesting for me to see a player, <laughs> a three-year-old uh, person come into it from a physics side. I can see he's working out like if I press that and I turn that on and switch that and he knows how amps works, you know, how to plug it in. He knows all this stuff and he knows what he likes, which is important and what he doesn't like. Mm -hmm. And that's very, very interesting, not just as a father, but as a fellow human being, seeing someone press all these buttons and, and twiddle these things and, and plug things in and, you know, what does that do? Uh, it, it's brilliant. <laughs> I feel very lucky when I, when I witnessed that. It probably, to him, it probably feels like Meccano mm. in a way. <laughs> you know, just like uh, I'm a, I used to love Meccano as a kid and... I kind of get that that would be sort of similar to someone that age, you know, trying to get it all to work together and piece it together. Oh. Yeah. yeah. I wish my parents were guitar. <laughs> <laughs> well, it ain't going to happen. Unless you can invite a time machine or something, but then you'd be different. And then we're in this whole paradox of not being actually having this conversation. So That's actually very true. If, I'm pretty sure maybe if my parents played guitar, then I wouldn't have. You'd be a yeah. cellist or something. Yeah, <laughs> I'd love to hear you play cello. No, yeah. Um, well, that yeah. story is I started on violin. So did I. Mm -hmm. I uh, I played for a year and a half, but I wanted to play the guitar, so then I stopped. So you stopped violin because of the guitar. Yeah, I wanted to play the guitar. And I always wanted to play the guitar even before I got the violin. But um, I didn't know that you could buy strings. <laughs> so I got given a guitar that had no strings on it, and I didn't know that you could buy strings. That makes absolutely <laughs> sense. If you don't know, you don't know. Yeah. 
That was it, yeah. We didn't so who brought the revelation? Like, who told you that you're going to actually buy strings? <laughs> um, I don't think I ever got told. I think the guitar just came with strings on eventually. Because, you know, as a kid, I just didn't even think about it. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, oh, sure. there's no strings on it. How do I play it? You can't. Oh, I'll get a violin. <laughs> <laughs> That's got strings on it. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I think I was about six, five or six. When I, um, I remember being in the lowest, second lowest school. So yeah, I was I was about six, yeah, six or seven, something like that. Yeah. But it's wonderful that the, the guitar not- you see it as a whole, as a whole piece, rather than the sum of its parts. Yeah. That's brilliant. That's that's very typical, I would say. I think so. Yeah, I mean, if you're not if you've not been around something like that, then you don't really think about like. I mean, just as an example, like when you never really, I, I, I've built my own computers now since I was 18, just as an example. But when I was younger, I wouldn't have thought that I could piece together a processor with a motherboard with a RAM and a hard drive. I just saw it as a tower or in fact, in that time, it was a desktop with a big CRT monitor. You know, I didn't, I knew that I could connect a cable to, the, I didn't know the mechanics of it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I guess it was the same sort of mentality, but minus 10 12 years off that learning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Um, yeah. I was a really dumb kid. <laughs> there we go. That's. <laughs> I think we all were, right? <laughs> yeah. At some point. <laughs> I had some shining oh. moments, but I had some awful dark moments as well. <laughs> <laughs> like joining a band before uh, being able to play. <laughs> But um, is that hey, your son? No, the rest of them said yes. Yeah, yeah. I was. I must have been <laughs> so confident, so so manipulative. <laughs> but again, we had fun. That was the whole the whole point. But um, we have to talk about our sponsor because we have to give. We don't have to. We want to give away a cereal to Amplitude Five. Um, Brent, have you okay. tried Amplitude Five yet? I haven't, but I was an avid, and people will know this, an avid lover of the Ampeg SVX plugin from Amplitude. And, and then they updated it, and I was very upset. <laughs> well, they've no, I, updated I lo- it again. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But um, I'm, I'm, dude, it sounds fantastic. I know it sounds fantastic. Um, there was just something specific that happened. You know, you know, sometimes when you know someone updates something, not necessarily a plugin, just like a, a guitar or an amp or something like that, and it's just ever so slightly different. But you fell in love with it for that one little thing. Yeah. That was all it was. It still sounds yeah. great. Yeah. Which version were you in love with? Was it three or four? And then, or did they just do like a within four update or? No, 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 it wasn't an update. It's when it actually changed. So, like, the graphics of the program actually changed. Um, yeah, and obviously it was so long ago that I've had it that generally DAWs now don't even support 32-bit plugins. Right. <laughs> that's that's how far back I'm saying. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I had that plugin for what? It must have been 12 years. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I must have got it in 2009, 2010 sort of time. It was around that time because I remember uh, I remember it coming out. Actually, it came out in two thousand and six. Um, I used to work at Sound Control, and um, they had little stations set up in Sound Control with Amplitude and Guitar Rig and stuff like that. Um, I worked at the London right, one, right? Okay, you know, Virgin Megastore. 
you remember that I, one? I went there. I, maybe I saw you. You never know. <laughs> I was probably not working. Probably just playing some guitar, you know. I was probably, <laughs> excuse me, can I get some help over here? I need to buy one string and a pick. Nah, <laughs> it's Mesa Dual Rectifier. Sort yourself out. <laughs> <laughs> but we're, we're going to give away a cereal, and Dan came up with a wonderful idea on how to give away a cereal. We gave one away last week. And you'll like this, Brian. Uh, the guy that won it last week was in the live chat. He won it because we asked for the, the reason why and what you would do with this plugin. He's writing a song for his daughter's wedding and would record it with Amplitude 5. And we're going to get to hear it in a few months' time. So that was a very exciting moment for me. But Dan, over to you. What are we going to do this week? I came up with the maybe silly idea, but to ask you guys to create memes about Andy's journey on becoming a metal master. So <laughs> take screenshots, take any kind of pictures of Andy, of Brown, of myself, whatever, and create funny memes. We'll check out the top 10 and then uh, decide who's the winner at the very beginning of next week's episode. Is that right, Andy? Yeah, how are, they, how are we going to know? How are they going to send them to us? They should ideally tag us. Ah. So tag Brown, tag Andy, tag me. And of course, and this is the most important part, tag the Guitar Stories podcast on Instagram. Yes. So it's up there. I hope we get a nice collection of memes. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you this one for free. <laughs> um, yeah. I like the upside down smile. <laughs> I think I look like Beaker from the Muppets when I do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that's the meme, isn't it? <laughs> Someone screenshotted you. There, there we go. go. Thanks uh, for that, thanks. mate. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, you can win if you really do the best one, Brown. It's it's a true, it's not a, a, a it is a, it's a meritocracy. Yes, it is. Yeah, absolutely. And if, you, if, you, if someone should not be on Instagram and is listening to this on the podcast, not on YouTube, uh, you can also write an email to guitarstoriespodcast at gmail.com. We'll collect everything and then decide it for next week. Just before we go live and Dan will fire 20 emails at me saying, have you done this yet? And I'll say no. And then, <laughs> and then we'll, be, we'll be ever so slightly <laughs> late due to a technical error. <laughs> <laughs> Bastard. <laughs> Maybe you should have a 30 minute technical error countdown for the beginning of your podcast. You are you are full of good ideas tonight. Thank you. It can just be your face on like a picture of something exploding. Yeah, I like it. Or slowly getting sadder. Or slowly getting bigger until the entire face is covered in the screen. To be fair, that wouldn't take long. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And you can just do your down, upside down smile. <laughs> <laughs> well, this conversation just got less interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, we have a, a habit of going way over time. And when we have guests on, it happens every time. And it's happened this time because, you know, we have the nicest people on the podcast. And. Um, we said thanks at the beginning, but also thanks right now at the end because I've learned so much and I'm yet again inspired by a guest and a, and a friend, if I may call you that. And awesome. I'm yes. looking forward can't to, wait to hang out. riff hard. I'm going to do it. Um, then hopefully we get another event in 2021 where we can play. And 
and I can actually show you what I've learned. That'll be perfect. I can't wait. I'm pretty sure that Henning Street in 2021, I would imagine. Yeah, um, especially now you've said it on the podcast. I know, yeah. Henning, <laughs> Henning, please do please do Gear Street again. It was a lot of fun. I'm pretty sure that everyone that went really enjoyed it. And this time, obviously, Dan, you get the opportunity to go and go to Henning's house because you weren't there like, this year, were you? No, you weren't. No, we, we couldn't. Like, the first time we didn't go, but uh, if it happens this year, we very likely be there too. So that'll right. be cool. A few hangs. It'll be fun. Yeah, yeah. We'll see each other for like five minutes a day while we're all running. Yeah. Epic. <laughs> and we say, we should, we should do something. Yeah, okay, see you later. Yeah. And then you spend, spend an hour looking for each other. Oh, no, yeah. I'm doing something with someone else. Oh, yeah. Can you do my I'm video not... switching? Nah, nah, I've got to eat a sandwich. Nah, an ice, <laughs> ice cream truck's coming in a moment. <laughs> Speaking of which, I've still got some uh, some of the poker chips in my drawer down here that I'm... Still owed videos for for next year's Gear Street. Ooh. So do I. So do I. Good luck with that, my friend. I know, right? I think that's a true barking up the wrong tree. <laughs> but no, thank you. It's really great. It's finally great to have a conversation with you face to face, Dan. After all of our years of chatting. Yep, agreed. Yes. <laughs> oh, well. Awesome. So people uh, watching and listening in the chat, thank you ever so much for joining us this evening, this afternoon, and whatever time it is where you are. If you're listening to the audio, then um, you know drive safely or whatever it is you're doing right now. Um, and you're going to riff, riff hard. With John Brown. That's what she said. <laughs> uh, bad news Dan I accidentally de deleted that little video we play at the end I don't know where it's gone Google Drive has screwed me over today so this is the actual real end of the podcast there's no outro music no nothing alright I can fix it I can fix it on, on the podcast but for live show yeah, sad times so yeah live people just imagine that there's some cracking tune right now um, and imagine we spoke about Star Wars and everything and you know all that <laughs> we'll be back next week with more or less technical issues but um, we'll get John Brown back on the podcast sometime in the future um, yeah see you everybody <laughs> bye 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 bye, bye.